Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Corinthians, chapter 11, starting in verse 23. Here are these words. For I received from the Lord what I handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink from it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. I invite you to pray with me this morning. Sorry, I didn't give you enough time to respond. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me now. Gracious God, as we gather together around the table, as your church has done throughout the past millennia, we pray that you would teach us anew how to create space for our voices, and for the voices of others, especially the least of these. And it's in your Son, Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 Invite the praise team to make their way down. Well, this morning we are continuing our sermon series on our faithful questions. And we believe that our questions don't drive us away from God, but they help us go deeper in our understanding and love of one another. Because let's be honest, we all have our questions. And to ask them together allows us that freedom and that space. But also, they allow us to grow deeper in our knowledge and love of our God. Because as we ask we begin to explore, and as we explore, we usually find more questions, but we come to more deeper sense of our faith in whole. Our scripture reading this morning is familiar, is it not? It's called the words of institution, which are another fancy way of saying the words that we say when we gather around the communion table every time. They give us the sense of assurance that the church has carried through this tradition from the Apostle Paul, who was writing this letter sometime in the mid-40s to mid-60 range. That's almost 2,000 years ago. The words that are proclaimed at this table that we gather around were reminded, Paul reminded of those early faithful Christians. That holy night when Jesus gives of himself and invites us to share in that same self-giving. I find a lot of joy in church history. I'm a history buff. It's one of the reasons I went to divinity school. Church history I'm fascinated by, and I love learning about the Greco-Roman world, and I know everyone in the room is exactly the same as me, right? One of the things that I encounter, though, as a pastor, is that not everyone is a history buff, But more importantly, one of the questions that comes up is, what do we do with other denominations? And what do we do with other religions? 
This came up in a variety of shapes and forms and the questions that were posed and whether or not it's between a, a household with two spouses of different faith traditions or two spouses of different denominational traditions or what does it mean to be the body of Christ together and yet to see all of the differences. And how do we look upon our brothers and sisters and some of the actions that they have? And do we say no? Do we say yes? What do we do with those? Because if you, some of you might see church as the church, as this united front since for 2,000 years that we've gathered together around the table and you find yourself in the pews to worship God and to learn more. Some others of us in the pews have these deep lingering questions and knowledge of ways in which churches have argued and divided and excluded and left people out. And whether or not you found yourself in a charismatic tradition or a very traditional context, some of us carry those questions with us. Now friends, this may be both discouraging or encouraging, I don't know. But the words that are so familiar, the words of the institution of the body of Christ, I think a lot of us don't read the context around that sometimes. Because did you know that the words of Paul, you know those fluffy words that we gather around the table, ones that we think are just so filled with joy, came out of disagreement and division even in the earliest church. So now hear the words just before Paul's words of gathering around the table. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Now in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have, been, uh, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it's not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for when the time comes to eat, each goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry and the other becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. And then he gets to those familiar words. For I have received what the Lord had handed down to you that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. Sometimes it is easy to forget the hard things in our past, isn't it? <laughs> Sometimes you get together with your family and you think you're just in such a good place because, you know, it's Thanksgiving time, and then you forget that last argument that all of a sudden comes bubbling up at the dinner table. Maybe that's just my family. It's easy to forget the hard, but when we acknowledge it, it helps us go deeper. 
One narrative of the church history is that the church just started to divide and divide and divide and divide, and it's gotten kind of lost in its sense of itself. The reality is, is that there have been divisions since the beginning of the church. And Jesus never pretended that the church would be a place for perfect people who perfectly get along. And I think this is a mistake that some of us make when we talk about other denominations and even other religions. Uniformity will never be our reality. Right? Uniformity will never be our reality. What I mean by that is that we will never be always the same. The same like-mindedness, the same interpretation of Scripture, the same in our understanding of our faith. But we can still find unity. The Apostle Paul, in the context of Corinthians, was working with two vastly different groups. Those who were weak, as Dale Martin, an author, describes, and those who were strong, The strong were the aristocratic Corinthians, those who had found themselves in the fabric industry of the Greco-Roman world, and they had money, and they had some sense of influence. And then you had the Jews, and the Jews were the lower socioeconomic status of this oppressed people from the outskirts of the Roman Empire, and there in the city of Corinth, Paul was trying to bring them together to the table. And if you read the book and you have a sense of that division amongst that early church, what is fascinating to me is that Paul refuses to make the mistake that so many of us in our modern society make, of pitting one side against the other, of standing along one side and condemning the other. If you know the Apostle Paul and you know my interpretation of him, he does not like the lists and the laws that people follow in order to inherit the love of God. His Jewish brothers and sisters, however, they liked the Torah and the law. And so at one hand, he sits alongside the lower economic status and he says, no, it is not about following the law. But then, like in this passage, he finds himself not standing with the aristocratic society, but also challenging them. Because imagine a wedding that might look like this. You're invited to be part of the celebration, and the couple and the bridal party are all there in the center of the room, and then they're eating this, you know, filet mignon and the thick halibut and the salad and the soups and everything that comes with a fancy wedding dinner. And the further you go from that center, from the in-group, the less that's on your plate. Perhaps you find yourself out there, kind of in the the pillowed section of the sanctuary, having to look beyond the pillar to see what's there, but all you can see is that they have these big glasses of wine, and they're celebrating, and the food on their plate, and you have a side salad, and don't quite feel welcome. It seems funny to us to think about it in such a way. 
How would anyone invite people to a wedding and exclude them from the full celebration? But why give the Jews meat? It was, after all, sacrificed the Roman temples, and they won't eat it anyway. So we'll enjoy and we'll celebrate the Eucharist of Jesus, and they can do as well. Paul looked at this and he said, absolutely not. I don't care. It's not about eating meat or not eating meat, but it's about being one together. Because we rationalize all the time ways to exclude people from our tables. Right? We're different people with different stories we can come together to be not uniform, but united. Our church history is founded within people trying to do that. So when people ask about denominations and why they've split, I take a positive lens upon that, and I think a lot of the splits within our faith happened because people were trying to include people around the table. I know it seems paradoxical, why would you divide when you're trying to include, but take, for example, the Reformation, where Martin Luther and John Calvin were trying to bring the faith of the Holy Roman Church to the everyday people. One of the dividing factors in that context was that the printing press had just been created and Luther said, let's make the Bible available to everyone. Everyone should be able to read it. Let's stop just celebrating mass around the table in Latin that most people don't speak, but let's use our common vernacular. That means the language of the common folk in our worship trying to include people at the table, all of a sudden he found himself creating a new table altogether. And that, friends, is the story of the United Methodist Church. I know all of you are here because you have the read the Book of Discipline, which is what we call, you know, our formal document, and you've, you know, itemized all the ways that we have structured our faith, and you said, yes, that's me, exactly. The United Methodist Church began as a branch of the Anglican Church, which is another way to say the Church of England. John Wesley and Charles Wesley, well, they began as a ministry, a parachurch organization, with the belief that they ought to go out and make disciples. And what they meant by that was visit the people in prison and bring the Word of God to the common folk. Because at the time, the Anglican churches, well, you had to look a certain way and dress a certain way, be a little bit more like a noble than a field worker to get in. And so John would stand up on the cobblestone sides, and he would preach outside the walls, and he would bring the good news to the people that didn't feel they could come to the table. Never did he intend to start 
a denomination. It wasn't until the Revolutionary War when all of the Church of England priests had been shipped back to, America, or to England from the United States because there was a war breaking out that John and Charles started to ordain new pastors. Why? So they could gather around the table. There were no priests, no one to preside at the table so that everyone might enjoy Holy Communion together. The church didn't like that. They kicked them out, and somehow John and Charles started a denomination called the people that call themselves Methodists. And it is easy for us to look at the narrative of the splits within that sort of skeptical lens that the church can't even get along. When I think it's really been different people trying to include people at the table. Of course, that's not all divisions. But to me, that's how we come together even amidst our differences. In the same spirit that the Apostle Paul draws us to. To come to the table knowing there's a difference, but being one together. Not holding something over another's head. Not practicing in a way that excludes the other coming together. And you might say to yourself, Pastor, I do not know what that looks like. We don't do that, but we do. I remember I was pastor in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which I've talked about many times. Progressive church filled with those, you know, people that are teaching at the University of North Carolina, and they're educated, and they're, you know, open and welcoming to all. Everyone's invited to the table. Problem was, it was a 99% white church. So why would a white church that's welcoming to all be like that? They created a separate table 40 years ago. Those who weren't welcome at the time. Those who were of color. And when the university students at the Wesley Foundation said, we must unite and welcome our African-American brothers and sisters to worship with us, the church council said, oh, that might be a little too progressive. We have separate tables within the church. And those tables are even in different worship services. And you know, sometimes... We like to say to ourselves, there's good reason for that. Did you know the fastest growing church within the world is the, in the global south? And did you know that probably if you like our worship service, their worship style would make you radically uncomfortable? <laughs> Speaking in tongues, dancing and jumping, the charismatic movement is moving throughout the global south. And that is not a bad thing. It's a different thing. The question is not 
how can we be the same? The question is, how can we come to the table? And that's when I think we allow our ethic around the table, the unity that comes even amidst our differences as a denomination or even a religion to take hold. So if you ask the question, what do we do with a household of different denominations or different faith? You create a table where everyone's welcome, where everyone has a voice, You create a table where people can ask their questions and can share their stories. But what you don't do is create that separate table where they can go because they're different than us. What you don't do is let them come to the table, but they can't voice their opinion. They can't be who they are at the table. And so for me, when I look at the denominationism and the different religions, I always ask myself, how is my faith opening up the table as opposed to excluding others from it? How is your faith welcoming those who are different? creating that space for them to feel comfortable and to share. Anytime a couple comes and they says to me, I would like to be married. And they say, but we have a pastor that wants to marry us. I don't really often ask the question, well, what denomination are they? (laughs) What do they believe or say? But I do say, as a pastor of this table that I preside, I ask questions about how they will narrate what that union looks like. And the two questions I always ask is, are you going to stand before our table and are you going to say that women do not have a voice and ought to subvert to the men in the relationship? And if they say yes, I say, well, you can go and do your service elsewhere. And similarly, if they say, you must look like this heterosexual couple that looks this way and does this thing, I say, well, you can go on your way and you can do your service elsewhere. I don't say that they can't believe those things, friends, but they cannot preach it from our table. They cannot exclude others and proclaim that from the table where we say all are welcome, open hearts, open doors, and open minds. And as we look on the differences of denomination and religion, how might we find a place at the table? Uniformity won't be the goal. We won't all agree. We won't all believe the same things. But we can gather together. And we can be one even in our difference. I invite you to pray for me, or pray with me, and pray for me.